Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Bobby Barber, and thank you for tuning in with us. I'm really excited about this podcast because um, we get a chance to hear from one of our members, one of our leaders at our Soma Northwest Church, Dr. Pat Mayer. Pat, it's really good to see you. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to be on this. Um, I've been looking forward to doing this and maybe just sharing a little bit of the medical knowledge uh, in terms of this pandemic that we're going through. So Pat, why don't you um, give us uh, a short little bio? Um, what, what's, your, what's your title? Where are you working? Um, what, what gives you the right to speak to us as an expert on this? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I am an ER physician at St. Vincent, uh, with St. Vincent Emergency Physicians, working at several of the different St. V's ERs. Um, I've been doing this for about six years, uh, and I'm the medical director and co-chair of emergency services there at 86th Street, so I've been fully living this uh, COVID preparation for the last month or so. Um, yeah, before that, I was trained up in Ann Arbor and Michigan. And before that, I've been born and raised here in Indiana. One of the reasons that we wanted to do this pod was um, that we really, really loved Pat and his wife, Jenna, and his girls. And as a, as a church, uh, very early on in this uh, pandemic, as, as things were seemingly moving a mile a minute and decisions were being made about do we meet? Do we not meet? Uh, how big of, uh, what are the sizes of our groups that we can meet in and all those kind of things. We, we wanted to make sure that we weren't making decisions um, that were just reactionary decisions. We wanted to make sure that we were being thoughtful and wise about how we are um, moving forward in the midst of this as a community of faith. And one of the blessings uh, that the Lord has has given our church is that we have a number of people who are in the healthcare profession, uh, a number of folks who are on the front lines of this pandemic, a number of folks who are just in the know. And so that has been really helpful for us. It's been a blessing to us to be able to consult with people like Pat and others who are not only experts in their field and, and can give us an understanding of what's going on medically, but are also people that we know, uh, people that know us, people that are um, not just faces on a TV screen or voices uh, over, over a radio broadcast, but they're people that we know, people that are part of our church community and so what we wanted to do, and Pat actually reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and, and asked, hey, would it, would it be helpful if we did an interview where I could speak directly to folks about what's going on here in Indianapolis and how we should think about these things? And um, I didn't have to think very long about answering that. And I said immediately, yes, that, that would be <laughs> a, a major benefit. To us. And so what we're going to do over the course of uh, the next few minutes is that we're going to ask Pat specifically about what's going on here in Indiana, in the city of Indianapolis, what he's seeing, uh, what the situation is uh, in his ER and his hospital that he's connected with. 
Um, we're going to talk about um, just testing and, and folks that, um, you know, may be listening. They're like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm showing some symptoms. Uh, do I have this? Do I not have this? What should I do? Um, we also just want to get into what are some best practices. Um, we're hearing a lot of different things and, and uh, people are taking a lot of, of, of the same precautions, but to varying degrees. And so um, we just want to hear from Pat um, as, as he's a part of our community and knows us. Uh, what should we be doing? What are some ways that we can protect ourselves, protect our community? Um, and then lastly, uh, speaking from his own experience, how can we support and love those who are on the front lines here? Um, our, our healthcare professionals, people that are stepping into high stress environments every single day. What are some ways that we can love them and, and be present in their lives and support them as they're walking through this situation. So again, we hope this is going to be helpful for you. I have a feeling that it's gonna really bear some good fruit here as this, may not, this is not uh, gonna come as a surprise to any of you. We are not professional podcasters. So <laughs> we are uh, doing this over a Zoom call. We are recording the audio here over a Zoom call. And so um, just to set everybody's expectations here, um, if, if we have some, some cutting in and out and some glitches, just know that we're going to do our best to, to, to push on through and, um, and make the best of it. So, Pat, let's, let's just begin with this. What, what's actually going on here? Um, you know, we, were, we had some, some really sobering warnings coming from our, our federal government over the last weekend. Um, we were actually identified as, Indianapolis was identified as a next potential hotspot for where this disease. And we look at, you know, places like Italy overseas. We look at uh, New York City. And that's a scary proposition to think about that that could be coming here. So what's actually going on here in our city? What are you experiencing in your ER? Um, wh wh what's the situation on the ground here? Yeah, um, that's exactly what I was hoping to kind of address here because like you said, so much of what fills our mind and fills our news, our airwaves is just what it is from everywhere else. Um, and so here, what we're seeing is we're certainly seeing several cases of this and they're continuing to increase. Uh, we, I will say our initial numbers or uh, initial models had us peaking about a week ago and we're clearly not even close to that right now. So without any social distancing, without any of the closing of the schools and the um, public arenas, we certainly would have already been in this and probably been uh, seeing similar results to what is being seen in Italy and New York and elsewhere. So uh, very graciously, we've been able to not be the first city hit by this. We've been able to see some of the things uh, and the ways to prevent it. So the social distancing has certainly worked and flattening the curve as everyone says, it has pushed the surge farther out. And so we are seeing it now we're predicting between, you know, the it, towards the end of April, but with the flattening of the curve, it doesn't remove people from the curve, it just broadens it out. So now that means it kind of will lengthen. And so we, and that's what we in the medical system need. Um, in the social system, <laughs> that might not be the economic system, that might not be what we need. Uh, but in the medical system, we can handle 
several patients over a long period of time. We just can't handle the whole city all at once. And so what we're seeing here is a certain flattening of the curve. Uh, our, our number of COVID patients is gradually increasing, um, but at a, at, at a rate that um, we can absorb that. So as uh, we've oftentimes said, just in terms of parenting, capacity is elastic, right? And so it slowly grows and you can slowly uh, gain more. And that's certainly what we've been able to do. So we've been preparing for uh, the last month plus to be that next hotspot. So when the Surgeon General does tweet out that we're looking to become one of the next ones, that was certainly looking at that trajectory that we were on. Um, and we still could become that uh, by all means, but we've had enough time to prepare uh, and acquire resources uh, and, and uh, acquire just different surge techniques to space out patients. So what we're seeing right now um, is actually less patients in the ER in general than what we would typically see on a give, any given day. Uh, but the percent of them that are COVID or COVID-like uh, is steadily increasing. Um, we're seeing some walking wells, uh, but we're, we're also seeing some of the critically ill. I will say uh, initially when we planned for surging, our first basis was going to be uh, planning for becoming overwhelmed with the, what we kind of call the walking well, the people maybe like you or I that have a cough and a cold and just get concerned and nervous that it's COVID and then inundate the hospital system. So we had plans for that. And that actually hasn't come. People have heeded the advice of the CDC and the State Department uh, or the State Department of Health and said, okay, I'll, I'll stay home. If I don't need to be in the hospital, I'll stay home. And that has certainly helped. Um, so for right now, if you were to walk in the ER, it would look somewhat quieter compared to a typical Monday, um, but certainly the percent of the COVID-like uh, illnesses are continuing to gradually increase. So for somebody out there who's listening, who may be um, experiencing some symptoms that are concerning, uh, mind immediately racing to, oh my gosh, I've got COVID, I've got this virus. What do you say to that person? Um, what, what should they be doing? How should they be thinking about this? If they feel like I may have, uh, I'm showing symptoms that I may have this virus. Yeah, um, so what I will first say, what I tell every single patient when I see them in the ER, regardless, you know, a month ago, two months ago, before all this COVID stuff, I would always give them warning signs of here's what to come back for, but I always leave it with the caveat of, or if you're just concerned. So first of all, I'll tell people, if you're concerned, we are, we are there for you as a medical community. We are certainly here for you. There are ways to reach out, contacting your doctor uh, if you have one, if not, contacting the health facility that you would be looking to go to, and they can kind of route you one way or the other. So there, we, we are never saying don't come in. Uh, we are always there to protect you and help you out. Uh, but uh, if you're having symptoms, uh, there's going to be a myriad that are associated with this, you know, a large, not a large percent, excuse me, but, you know, upwards of close to 20% of these cases are looking to be asymptomatic. So from anywhere from no symptoms whatsoever uh, up to what we're clearly seeing, um, rapid deterioration and death. So the most common symptom is fever. 80 plus percent of people are going to have a fever, a dry cough being one of the next symptoms, extreme fatigue, headaches. Diarrhea, feeling unwell, um, and, and on down the list it goes. So if you start having those, the warning signs that we say, hey, this is not something that you just should sit on, uh, shortness of breath. This is affecting the lungs more than any other body part based on some of the biochemistry that um, 
probably no one really wants to hear me nerd out on, um, but uh, uh, it affects the lungs first. So if you're short of breath, that's a sign to go to the ER. Um, if your mental status changes, uh, that's another reason. So if you're really confused, foggy, those are reasons. Most of the time, that's probably be going to be because your oxygen level's too low or some of the other uh, defense mechanisms that your body's doing is kind of wreaking a havoc and causing you some confusion. So uh, altered mental status, uh, trouble breathing, any kind of passing out, those would be certain things that I uh, definitely want to see you for. The other ones, if you're doing okay, if this says, hey, this feels like the flu or maybe a cold, and if it wasn't uh, COVID 2020, if this was last year, I would have stayed at home, then I would give you free reign just to go ahead and stay at home. By all means, call your doctor, call whoever you want to get some reassurance. But the, the vast majority, up to 80% of the patients that get this are either asymptomatic or have mild symptoms, the same symptoms that you would feel because this is coronavirus. There are several other coronaviruses out there. There's four well-known coronaviruses. That's the common cold that we get every year. Um, so some of them will just react like that. And if you do, feel free to stay home, call your physician, um, and, and just breathe and know that 80% of these work out fine. But if you start bordering into those shorter breath, mental status changes, passing out, um, those would be uh, times that we'd say, um, I, I certainly need to see in the ER. And this is something that, that I've thought, is there, is there a chance that some of us have this and don't even know about it? Um, are there, are yeah. there those of us who are just walking around <clears throat> with this um, and maybe we are asymptomatic um, in those, the symptoms that you just, just described, is, is that possible? And if yeah, so, very, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, is there anything, is there anything to do about that? Yeah, yes and no. Um, so yes, it's by all means, very certainly possible, uh, that you have it and you have no clue. Like I said, 18% is kind of what we've been quoting a little bit, or it tend to be asymptomatic carriers of this. And so what do you do? Well, that's, that's why, um, that was kind of the consternation of, of the health officials to figure out what do we do for this. So when we've had, you know, anybody remember SARS from 2003, um, we, that was contained within eight months by, by a handful of uh, reasons. Uh, one of them, the severity tended to be quite, you were symptomatic quickly um, and quite severely. Uh, and, and then also there was a bit of luck that kind of, help to play into the quarantine of that. But um, uh, that's different with this. So we tend to, we're not exactly sure how long before you're even, if I gave you COVID, how long would it be before you were um, able to uh, transmit it to others? And then uh, do you even show symptoms? That's showing more like five days to show symptoms. And really from when you start showing symptoms to when they become severe, it tends to be five to eight days. So you could really be almost two weeks into this before you're saying, I might be really sick. So that was the tough part in the driving force. It's a high transmissibility, meaning it's very easy to get from somebody to pass to somebody else. And a lot of people might not have the symptoms. So that's over the weekend, you know, kind of with the recommendations of, hey, it's okay to wear a face mask out in public. That is, that's not for your own protection. Um, the face mask recommendation is, is if you happen to be an asymptomatic carrier or a carrier that just um, will show symptoms, but has not as of yet, that's to kind of keep that contained. Uh, but it's not really going to protect you that much other than uh, just based on how this spreads, it spreads through droplets, basically. So unless you walked through somebody's cloud of sneeze, uh, the mask might help you there. But, um, you know, common sense does too. So uh, 
just kind of being aware of it. But yeah, so it's certainly uh, possible that you that you have it and don't know it. Um, and that's the rub on this virus, unfortunately. How accurate are the tests right now? Uh, I was talking with somebody the other day and um, who's, you know, um, uh, a loved one was tested and, um, you know, it came back negative, but then I heard, well, it's only about 60% accurate or something like that. So, I mean, even for those who are, who are experiencing symptoms and who are getting tested and then it's coming back negative, how much can we trust the tests that we, that are available right now? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of what you're seeing. So first, most of what I'm going to say, I probably should preface by saying the whole point of this thing being a novel virus is that novel means it's new and we just don't really know. So a lot of the questions that, you know, have, I have been asked, uh, you know, before this pod, but, uh, or might come up here, we, we kind of have to say, this is probably right. Um, it's not for lack of, us trying to get knowledge. It's just, this is all brand new and we don't really know. So when you look at the tests of this, uh, studies are showing a range from about the mid sixties up until the mid eighties. And we're settling around probably about 78%, 78 to 80%, which gives you sensitive. So there's, uh, when you look at those, that means if you're 80% sensitive, that means 20% of the time from uh, your stats class, if you remember, you get a false negative, meaning you swab negative, but you actually have it. So, so, uh, that's another uh, tough one in terms of how do you kind of contain this. So does one false test or one negative test uh, give you complete immunity to go, you know, uh, frolic and play with everybody else? It's pr probably not. Um, and so we've uh, re-swabbed people um, when we've needed to and different countries have done it different ways. So in China, you had to be have three negative swabs and one was a special kind of test in order to become be determined to be actually negative. So we're, like I said, roughly saying about 80%. There's new testing that's coming out all the time. Um, and we're developing and we're trying to, uh, by we, not me and my, my buddies, uh, but the epidemiologists and uh, the, the experts in this are trying to figure out the exact specificity and sensitivity of these tests. But right now, the standard ones that you see, the ones at the drive-through at Lilly, those big nasopharyngeal swabs, those are reporting about 80%. And so it, it, a negative test is... Yeah. 20%, you have a chance to still probably maybe be maybe having it. Um, there's a whole bunch of factors that weigh into that. It might, it's not just the test is not great. It might not be sample wasn't obtained, you know, deeply enough. There's whole, there's user error. There's lots of different reasons why it can be that way. But, you know, what we tell people is, um, even if your swab is negative, so if you come into the ED, we swab you. If we send you home, we'll call you the next day or whenever we get the results, we say, this is negative still stay for 72 hours until you're asymptomatic. And so that's still the recommendation is it, it just doesn't give you, if you have a negative, that doesn't mean you can go back to uh, social closeness. One more, one more question on this before, before we move on. Um, I know that there's also been a lot of fear and anxiety for people who may have had a pre-existing condition before all of this pandemic went down um, you know, somebody who is undergoing cancer treatments, um, you know, somebody who has another, uh, some other kind of pre-existing condition. And then just the fact that, you know, life does go on and other things do happen to us. Um, if we go to the hospital for a non-COVID issue, um, 
what le- what level of anxiety should we have about that? <laughs> um, how, how would how would we be handled? Would we be kept in a special? You know, would we be kept a, a, away from people? What, what what kind of situation do you have at your hospital? I don't know that you probably can't speak to every hospital here in the city, but um, you know what what can we expect and and how concerned should we be if in fact we have to go to the hospital or someone we love has to go to the hospital for a non-COVID related issue? Yeah, that's, um, so what I'd say is uh, you'd probably, you might be safer at the hospital than some of the other public places, I'll be honest with you. We certainly have gone uh, quite in detail to figuring out um, current state, how we separate and treat uh, patients differently to surge states. So, hey, once we, if we do get inundated with um, you know, 50 people sitting in the waiting room, where do we do? Well, we have a se- separate waiting room for non-COVID. And so we, we have thought through this um, ad nauseum, really. Um, and even upstairs on the floor, we are um, kind of, uh, not, not, kind of, we are keeping patient, COVID-like patients together in certain units and moving whole units together. So um, what I will say is uh, 55% of the patients admitted right now at 86th Street are non-COVID, uh, meaning the majority of what we're doing is still taking care of your everyday uh, ailments that came up before, you know, two months ago. So we're still doing all your care for trauma, stroke, heart stuff, everything that you can have um, in light of in light of COVID. And, and we have just separate areas that we're doing this. So whether it's in the ER, if it's in the waiting room, we have a separate area. If you're in the ER itself, we have different rooms uh, that we would do for you if need be. Right now, we have the capacity that we don't really have to uh, cohort-like uh, patients. And so we will see you in um, whatever room we need to. But then if you get admitted upstairs, you get admitted to um, a, a clean unit uh, that is a non-COVID unit. And so all the people coming in and going out will be uh not taking care of the, or your nurses wouldn't be coming from a COVID patient than the next door into you. So we have uh, separated as much as we possibly can um, with a ton of work done by our infection prevention specialists, our infectious disease physicians uh, to try to kind of help us get best practices. But uh, I would not be scared going to the hospital uh, any more than I would if I had to go to a hospital period. Uh, but based on this, we've studied all the cleaning time. So we know how long the room needs to set and before we can clean it and all down the list down to how many times the air turns over in each room based on a normal room or negative airflow or HEPA filter we have gone through the science of all of this um, to, to make sure you're safe. Pat one, one of the things that's dominated the news cycle recently is um, the shortage of uh, personal protective equipment PPE uh, a lot of talk about ventilators and and the fact that we uh, do we have enough ventilators? You know what what's the situation with that? Um, you know, again, I know you can only speak to um, to your hospital, but uh, how do we make sense of of that? Is is it really the crisis that we're hearing about? And and specifically, do you all do do you all have what you need in terms of PPE, uh, vents, gowns, masks, you know, all of these things mm-hmm. that, that are really dominating our news cycle. Yeah, we do. We are good right now. We have um, days and days of PPE on hand. So again, hearkening back to earlier, 
one of the blessings has been that we're not the first city. We're not the first country. We're not the first state. We're not the first city that was hit with this. And so we've had times to buy up the equipment that we need and just uh, kind of stockpile um, and, and, and plan for this. So certainly uh, other places are not. So I have colleagues that are um, that I know that are in other facilities and other states and cities, and, and they are experiencing exactly what you're seeing on the news. Um, so from, but from our standpoint uh, at, at St. Vincent, we, we have all the PPE. I feel safe when I walk in to work. Uh, we still have all the ventilators we need for patients. We have the rooms that we need for patients. Um, so we are not experiencing what um, some of my colleagues are elsewhere. And so uh, even to that point, some of our colleagues have gone and helped in other places. That's what they're doing right now is going and serving in, in New York to kind of help stem that tide. And we might get to that uh, when it comes, you know, a month from now, we might be in that position. But as of now, uh, really with all the work that, that you guys are doing, that the, the general public is doing and staying home and, um, and, and staying in and doing self quarantines and doing the social distancing, it's really has uh, moved that needle as flattened that curve, whatever, whatever you however you want to call it it has saved a it has saved a lot of lives um and so we are not being inundated and it saved not only the patient's lives but uh my coworkers um as well because we're just we we are equipped uh where we might not have been before so so we feel i feel safe and what what i read i believe uh that is happening there but it's this is not happening happening where we're at right now i read earlier today that uh dr Anthony Fauci, who's be, become the face of uh, <laughs> coronavirus, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, he um, he said earlier today that there is a very good chance that um, this coronavirus will assume a a seasonal nature, uh, something like like the flu that we experience. Mm -hmm. um what what is what's your thought on that and how should we think about that you know as we even um maybe experience uh, we'll eventually experience the downturn of this pandemic at some point hopefully right. in the near future um how do we think and prepare about the the reality that this may come back this time next year yeah uh <laughs> Woefully, <laughs> I don't know how you prepare for it. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, everybody just wants this to be over, right? When I ask people, "What do you want to know?" Everyone wants to know when can I get back to life, um, and I don't know. Um, no one knows the seasonality aspect of it. I think some people bring some people some joy of saying, "Okay, great," you know, it's oh, it's almost warm, so that means we're almost done. Uh, but the, that means it's going to come back. Um, so we don't know. Uh, like I said, four other coronaviruses that we do know are seasonal. That's the common cold. By seasonal, we'll just uh, that that means it peaks in the late fall and the winter and goes down in the late spring and summer. That's because viruses like this thrive in dry, um, uh, non-humid air. So, or sorry, the dry, cool air. When it gets hotter and it gets more humid, they can't stay suspended in air as much, so they don't, can't contaminate others. Also, our immune systems tend to be better in the summer and we're outside more in the summer. So all of these feed into the fact that that's what makes a seasonal infection a seasonal infection. So 
most likely we will. So SARS and MERS were the other two coronaviruses um, that, uh, that exist that don't really exist anymore. But both of those never went through a full season. Those got contained within a year. So we don't know if those acted in a seasonal fashion or not. So since the other four do, since the flu does, it, it, this prob probably will. So my suspicion is, yes, that we will uh, see, start seeing a downturn after our big surge. But the downside of that is that that does not convey immunity to, <laughs> to the public. And so we'll probably see somewhat of a less infectivity of it uh, and transmissibility of it over the summer. But then in the fall, we and, and, and winter, we very well could be doing exactly what we're doing now. So the biggest thing, the biggest thing that would uh, stop that is, is a vaccine like people talk about. Uh, and so, or if there's no vaccine until just enough of us get it and we convey some sense of immunity towards this, we don't know what that looks like. Um, when you get infected with something, you develop some sort of immunity to it. it um, but they, it's a different uh, length of time. It's called um, immune memory. So something like chickenpox has a lifelong immune memory, right? You get chickenpox once, you never get it again. Um, things like the common cold uh, so usually depends on the severity of your cold. So if you get a really, really bad version of the coronavirus, for you might be immune to it for a couple of years, but then you kind of decrease your sensitivities, your immunity to it, and you can get it back again. And so, and then also with the flu, that rapidly replicates and mutates. And so that's why we need a new vaccine every single year for it. So we don't know where this will fall in the spectrum of things. My suspicion is that it'll, it'll act like the other coronaviruses do. So more like that, less like um, any flu or any of the other um, uh, viruses that are out there. So what that would mean was probably be seasonal. Um, you probably get some sense of immunity to this. Um, we've, we mean like uh, other countries that have epidemiologists that have, and virologists that have looked at this have taken samples and they do see antibodies that have formed after people have been um, infected with it. So that does probably lead to some sense of immunity with it. Um, but how long that lasts, we just won't know for at least a year, really. Um, and then if we can get a vaccine and it doesn't, rapidly mutate like the flu, then we might be good. And if it does, this might, this will probably, this will not be our life for the next 15 years by any means. Um, but for the next year or two, until we get this under control or can really flatten that curve, if you look at this from not just a season, but from over several years and we either enough people build up enough immunity uh, to it, or we get a vaccine uh, before we get back to our normal way of life. Because with a novel virus, nobody, I mean, it's just running free reign right now. It doesn't appear to be mutating that fast, but it doesn't really need to because no one knows what it is. And so we can't, we can't fight it off right away. So uh, time will tell. And th that's like everybody that talks to me when I tell them, <laughs> it's just, it's the last thing they want me to say. Uh, but that's probably the most truth that we probably have future shelter in place and social distancing um, at, at some point. The hope, would be if we can get aggressive on testing um, and we can start to kind of localize quarantines, we might not need to do as broad of a social thing. That if we can start getting people uh, tested very early on, um, then we can kind of know where these pop-ups are and, and isolate different areas. But again, it's, we'll, we'll kind of have to see. So how do you prepare for it? I, I think first is just knowing that that's the case, right? And just yet again, knowing that, you know, um, 
relinquishing your control over it, right? You still, you, we just don't have control over anything. Um, it's, it's just not waiting this out for a week or two. This is just the long game that we're going just to have to surrender to and just, and just know that we are not in control. Um, and just try to find some way to have peace uh, in that, that um, there's still good to be had from this, um, but that this is not something that we can just, um, I think, white knuckle and bear our way through it, but this is something that we just have to release um, because I don't think the end is, is, is close in sight. And that has been the hardest thing about this for, for a lot of us, is the isolation and the social distancing. Um, it's so out of the norm from how most of us live our lives. And really, honestly, I mean, how, how we are built to live our lives, how we should be living our lives. We're meant to be around other people. We need other people um, in a very uh, uh, physically present sense. And yet everything that we're reading and, and hearing, and, and you alluded to this just a few minutes ago, is that social distancing is working. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, I admit, when I first heard this, you know, cute little phrase, socially, <laughs> social, distance, uh, social distancing, um, that uh, I thought, wait, we've got this pandemic, and the way that we're combating this is that people are just telling us to stay in our homes. Um, I wasn't convinced, um, but at, you know what we're hearing uh, from from other countries, even what we're hearing out of out of New York is that this social distancing is working. So mm -hmm. you know, as, as you speak to our people, and and even just thinking about the fact that our our peak is still ahead here in Indianapolis, what is acceptable for us? to continue to do while we're social distancing. You know, we, we, need, to, we need to go to the grocery store. We need mm -hmm. to do some of these essential life things, um, that these things that still need to happen. Um, you know, we, we still uh, need people in, a, in our lives. And so, you know, is it, is it acceptable to still be in certain social situations with a few other people like, you know, a couple of neighbors that live around us, you know, where we kind of have a larger quarantine family, uh, maybe that's on our block or, or a few houses or, or whatever. What, what would you say to us, uh, especially as we're gonna hit this peak um, here, here soon, what's acceptable for us to do? What, what are some things that we can still continue to do being responsible um, and, and still know that we need to be socially distant? Um, I think uh, what you have said before, what several other people have said before, right, is um, you're right. We, we're not going to isolate, right? That's not what we're doing. We're not isolating ourselves. We still have to live this life. So yeah, of course, go to the grocery store um, and got to go to get, get gas or go to CVS or whatever. Do, do your normal essential things. Um, then I don't think many people would have too much of an issue with that. Uh, but the extraneous, um, yeah, I've even had to find myself cutting back a little bit. I, you know, I'm home. I'm here. I've 
had days off of work and I want to get some projects done around the house, but probably going to Lowe's 17 times for, for each different little trip isn't the wisest thing to do. Um, and so just being a little bit more cognizant of that, I think one of the things, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I would imagine, because what I think when I, outside of the doctor realm is I'm healthy and I'm young, what does it really matter, right? I'm not going to, like, I feel fine. I don't, and I'm, I'm not doing too much. I'm not going around and hugging people at these places, but it's still, if, like I said, 18% being asymptomatic carriers of this, the more you can keep it contained, the better we have uh, as a medical system uh, to, to stay on top of this and keep people alive. Uh, in terms of what can you do, I think now is when we got to start getting a little bit creative of how, of how to do this, especially knowing that, like you said, uh, we're not at the peak yet. We're probably at least another month away from any of this surge ending. Um, and so, and so what do you do? Um, and so that's where Jen and I have talked of saying, Hey, can we, uh, maybe have some lawn dinner parties with some of our neighbors? And I think that is fine. So what I do not think is fine is saying, well, I'm going to be around my family members, my family of four, let's just make that a family of 20 and be really close uh, with a bunch of other people um, and just say, this is just our family and we're going to be around these people um, just as close as we normally would. I do, what I do think is safe is saying, Hey, I'm going to have my family of four go over to your family and we'll just have dinner in the driveway, you know, a good 10 feet apart just so we can see faces and stay in stay in connection. I, I, I think that's fine. And I think it's just going to be a little bit, um, uh, being creative in that. So I, yes, you can go out. Yes, you can do your normal uh, or your essential things. I just ask you from the medical community to just to take stock and see if it's actually um, essential for that. And then otherwise, um, yeah, be with people as much as you can. I was going to see if you wanted to shoot hoops at Ross Hall just because there's two hoops so we can just go shoot on other goals. So just things like that um, uh, to, to still be with people, uh, but just from a, a little bit away. Well, as you know, there's not a pandemic strong enough to keep me away from a basketball court. <laughs> so invitation accepted. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pat, what, uh, I, you know, we've been in this thing now for Gosh, almost a month. And, you know, I know that probably most people have read every article that they can stomach about how to, you know, keep themselves safe and, and what precautions to take and, and all of these things. But, um, you know, what, what would be, uh, apart from the social distancing, uh, what are just a few best practices that you would say, um, you know, as you're continuing to do the essentials, um, you know, how do you make sure that your, your house is, is, you're not bringing things into your house, uh, you're not bringing, you know, uh, this, this disease into your family? Um, are there some other best practices that you would encourage people to take? Yeah, so I've been asked a few times, like, should I wipe every, is take take out food safe? Is it delivery food safe? Should I clean all my groceries? Should I spray everything down with Lysol before I let it enter my house. And so right now I'd say, no, sorry. Yes, it's safe. No, you do not need to do those things. Um, again, still learning more, but everything points to this is spread by 
droplet and respiratory secretions and that touching your mucous membranes. That's that that's how it is. So it's not uh, there's been no signs of transmissibility from food packaging or cardboard. Yes, it can stay on solid surfaces and it can stay on plastic longer. It looks like, but there's still been no cases or evidence that that's how this is being transmitted. So certainly, if somebody coughs on their hand and then picks up an apple and then you go pick up that apple, could it occur? Yes, um, but highly unlikely that that being any significant disease vector. The best thing is, um, like today, I went to the grocery store this morning, came home, and uh, put all the groceries away, and I just washed my hands. The biggest thing we can say is wash your hands. I know it's a broken record. I know you're seeing that everywhere. But that is the best way to prevent transmissibility of this. So wash your hands. Try not to touch your face. That's where some people, some studies have actually shown people wearing masks. Some people wearing masks has actually led to a higher transmissibility because a, it gives them a, um, uh, this kind of false sense of security that they feel like they're protected from everything. But B, if you're not used to wearing a mask, you're going to touch your mask all the time because it feels weird to have a mask on your face. And so um, that you feel free to wear one, but try not to touch your face. No biting of your nails, obviously, no fidgeting on there. The less you can keep things from your face, the better it's going to be. So really, it's like... I'm not trying to make fun of it or make light of it, but it is kindergarten rules, right? Don't put things in your mouth that shouldn't be there. Only put food in your mouth or a toothbrush, like we tell our kids. Uh, wash your hands all the time. And that's the best way to stay safe. And then obviously the social distancing and not going out to do things if you don't really need to go out and, and do those things. But I, I didn't wipe everything down when I came in. When I come home from work, I do, you know, change and throw my scrubs immediately um, in either the basket or the, the, the washing machine and tend to take a shower, but I did that most of the time before this anyway. So, and that's just me from taking care of these people person to person. So from this general public, I, I, I don't think you need to spray your entire, entire body down with Lysol like I've seen some people doing before they get into their truck and after they get out of their truck and all that kind of thing. That is, um, if that gives you more peace, Peace to you, but I, I, I'm not going to be doing that necessarily. I realized the other day my my father-in-law had a um, some facial hair for a few months, and and I saw him, and and he had shaved it off, and I said, "Oh, why'd you shave shave it off?" And he was like, "Well, I realized I was touching my face all the time." And for those of you who who may not know me. Um, and who can't see me in this podcast, my face is covered with a beard and <laughs> has been so for over 10 years now. And Pat, I'm scared about what's underneath this beard uh, <laughs> so much so that I can't, I could never bring myself uh, for the sake of my family and, and, and others to shave this beard <laughs> off. But what I'm hoping is out of all of this, one of the positive things that will come is that maybe we become a more hygienic people uh, yes. in this country. Maybe we yeah. become cleaner people and we value you. some of these things that uh, we take for granted a little bit more. I, I know that I've washed my hands more in the last month than I probably have <laughs> in, in the last five years. And I'm embarrassed to say that. But um, hopefully that will be something that comes from this. I, I hear you. I, I think uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I double down on that too. I, uh, I have shaved 
my so i cannot grow facial hair like you it is splotchy and disgusting and doesn't really connect all across my face except for a thick neck beard it's awful but i i've had a goatee for 15 years um i've not seen my chin except twice once when i got married and once when i dressed up as peyton manning for halloween because he didn't have a goatee so that was my level of commitment for things but uh but i agree uh we are going to be more hygienic i think this will be better for flu season down the road right this is all preparing us i mean there is going to be some degree of uh of improved health after all this is said and done because we are going to realize that I shouldn't put anything in my mouth that's not food or toothbrush, uh, that kind of thing that I should wash my hands. And so that's what leads to the flu spreading and killing uh, so many people too. So I, I, I agree with you, like uh, jokingly, and also from a medical, we will be better. We will be healthier when this is all done. Well, before we, before we wrap up here, Pat, one, one of the things that our community uh, at Soma Northwest and, and I know our other Soma churches um, and really, honestly, uh, the response that we're seeing from our society at large is recognizing the, the strain that you and others who are in the healthcare profession and your families are under in this season. And a, a strong desire and response has come out of that to support you to show how much we appreciate what you're doing. And so I would just love to hear from you. What are ways that, um, that our community and others can support you and, and those who are, who are on the front lines of this, who are risking your own health, um, both physically, mentally, emotionally, as you're, as you're engaging and, and taking care of our society as a whole, what are ways that we can support you that, that are meaningful um, and, that, and that encourage you and, and allow you to continue to do the things that you're doing? Man, I love that question so much. I love that um, it's already been, so much of it has already been done uh, from our community. Um, I have felt uplifted and loved um, and cared for in this. And as a two uh, on the Enneagram, uh, <laughs> that can be uncomfortable for me, but it's been anything but. Um, so I'd, I'd say the, the, one of the first is just to uh, ask, right? So if you know of anybody, I, I think all of us are going to be a little bit different in terms of exactly what we need. But if you know of anybody, just first of all, just ask. And then probably if it's me, ask again. <laughs> and just know really what do you need um, and then trying to think of just practical ways to love them uh, so uh, food obviously is an easy thing but just even uh, especially uh, within the next month uh, as the um, uh, patient volume increases one of the things that we can't replicate right we can have GE make us ventilators and um, uh, or say give us a bunch of PPE which I am uh, so thankful for and not uh, demeaning, but we can't replicate people. And so uh, if we are running low on doctors, nurses, RTs, housekeepers, supply chain, every we can't replicate people. And so um, we're going to be busier. And so ask, can you mow their yard? Can you take someone to their parents? Just little practical things. So the first thing is just ask if you know anybody. Um, obviously, one of the other things that clearly is, is pray. And, um, I don't say that because 
you know, this is a somapod and I have to say that it's truly, I have felt the prayers of the saints and I've told you and everybody else so many times during this where I felt um, just um, beaten down and uh, fatigued and overwhelmed and exhausted. Uh, and I have physically felt uh, the prayers just just turn on a, turn me on a dime to having some uh, respite and some peace and some calm in this. So uh, prayer cannot be um, overstated in this, especially with um, what I see when I go to work, um, what I feel when I go to work. The other day when I went there, I just felt a pall over the entire department. It was just kind of what I've said is, you know, spirits of fear and, and grief and bitterness and worry and anxiety are just really having their way uh, right now. And so just prayer to combat that, prayer to be a light and to the people that are living in that and uh, prayer for endurance through that. Um, it's just long and tiring um, and hard. And so the specific prayers have just been, like I said, for, for endurance uh, through that. Um, uh, stay home like, we, like you talked about. That's another thing, continue to push push press on through this what you guys are doing by staying home is saving lives i i i don't say that to falsely hold you up but to tell you the 100 percent truth you guys are saving lives by staying home so please keep doing that um and then uh the, the thank yous that i get have been like i um i'm i'm an all shucks guy right like you've ever given me a compliment i i kind of stare at my at my feet a little bit um but i hear that so well when you tell me um i am moved to tears with every uh video and and, and text um and any phone call or anything that you guys give or the whoever put signs in our yard uh about prayers for it like things like that just say thank you not because i need it not because i want to be um glorified um because I don't. Um, that's one of the things that Lord has been calling me of uh, during this and just really uh, um, uh, pruning for me is my desire for man's praise and just to rest in his praise, that I am enough, that I am his son, and that's all that I want. Um, so I do not need praise. So I don't thank me for that. But it is reassuring, right? Uh, what we're doing is hard and long. and It's taking a toll on us and it's taking a toll on our family and our friends. And so it's nice and it's reassuring and reaffirming to hear like what we're doing is good and what we're doing is right. Um, so yeah, the thank yous are like, that is, that, that's gone a long way. For those of you who don't know Pat, um, like I do, um, when we experience Pat, uh, a lot of times we experience a guy who has, you know, he mentioned uh, in uh, referring to his Enneagram number as a two, a guy who is a servant, a guy who's a helper, uh, an encourager, a guy who's pouring out in our community a lot. Not to mention the fact that, you know, his, his the nature of his work is serving and caring other for other people in a, uh, a tremendously difficult environment high stress, uh, the, the trauma that he encounters, um, and the fact that he ha is not only caring for patients, but leading teams of, of doctors and nurses and staff 
uh, to do such great work, work that reflects the heart of our father. But the thing that, uh, especially over the last year, that has really encouraged me in my relationship with Pat is um, his commitment to not only pouring out, but to begin to examine and, and cultivate um, a, a stronger inner life in his relationship with God. And even just some of the things there that, that he just said, like those are, those are things that have come out of um, uh, lots and lots of, of time spent before the Lord uh, in silence and solitude, self-examination, um, and, and not in a morbid way, not in a navel-gazing <laughs> way, but in a way in which he can cultivate depth, um, depth of, of uh, soul depth, depth. And so um, Pat wanted to end this pod by, by sharing some things with us, um, praying with us, encouraging us um, as we continue to move forward in this pandemic, um, our, our brother, uh, not only our doctor, but, but our brother um, <laughs> is going to encourage us to keep pressing on, to keep ourselves present before the Lord. So Pat, what, what do you have for us here? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Um, so what I've said is, as I've been thinking and living in this pandemic, um, before that, like you said, the Lord has brought me really to him and quiet um, and stillness. And then as I started living in this pandemic mode, I was living anything but that. I was seeing, I said it's kind of a, rather than an age of peace and mindful quietness, it was my mind racing and hearts troubled and, you know, tangible needs lacking in people. And um, what I've told lots of people in terms of you know, neuroplasticity, whatever you think about becomes your reality. And the converse of that, whatever your reality is, becomes what you're thinking. So my reality and probably most everyone on here, the reality is COVID. And so that's all that we're thinking about for me. Is it, am I, am I prepared? Are my teams prepared? Am I up to date on my, on my recs? Are we safe? Is that tickle in the back of my throat? Is that COVID? Um, can I go to work? Am I, is my family safe? And on and on and on. And so as I'd sit down to pray, I could never wade, you know, beneath the, the, the waters of my mind to engage with our father. And so what I found the best way for me to kind of combat that is, is contemplative prayer and, um, there's lots of different versions of that, um, but they all mean, they all have the same purpose, which is, you know, to center our minds before Yahweh. And so, like St. John at the cross wrote that silence is God's first language, or uh, the language that he hears best is silent love. And so, it's, it's been a chance for me to not talk at God or to God, or, uh, but just to be present with God, to be silent to God, to let him, my, his spirit guide me to calm me, to restore me, to fill me. Um, and so uh, just what I've found is he will not ever compete with the noise of my mind and of our day. Um, but his glory is seen and heard in the thin silence. So I felt overwhelming, his overwhelming embrace through centering prayer, or breath prayer, or prayer of exam. But today I wanted to go through more kind of a welcoming prayer, a way to slow your body and your mind, um, just to bring all before you, uh, to the Lord and just be present. So, um, so I'll go through this, just this centering prayer. Uh, if you like it, if this is something you're interested in, uh, I've found when doing this, I, I feel best when I'm listening to some silent uh, or some quiet 
meditative uh, music. Uh, currently, I'm listening to it's a song called Three Hours of Soaking in His Presence by William Augusto. And it is three hours of soaking in his presence of just instrumental music. So I encourage you, whatever may be for you, to just kind of get in his quiet um, and, and do that. So, so if you're listening, as you're listening to this, I just invite you to stop and to pause and to sit with your feet on the ground in front of you, grounded in the stability of the earth, to sit with your eyes closed and your hands open, lightly resting on your legs, and just breathe. Take a moment and focus on your breathing, slowly in, letting the oxygen fill your lungs, filling up and at pause just at the top for a second, and then slowly exhaling. Exhaling the anxiety and the tensions of the day. Focus on your shoulders coming down and the weight just sliding off of them and breathe in again. Just let your mind focus on your breathing. It will focus on something, so just let it be the air in your lungs. The slow and gentle rhythm of your breath. Bring to mind the formation of Adam. Yahweh forming dust into shape and then breathing in the God breath of life into his nostrils. Let that peace and picture just fill your mind as the air fills your lungs. The God breath of life as you sit still and quiet in his presence. And as you continue to focus on your breathing, go through your body and look for those areas of tension that is not of God. Our body is a temple for the spirit. As you slowly focus on your breathing, find the areas in your body that are not of God. Tension in your shoulders, aching in your temples, that cramp in the low of your back. Slowly focus on your body from your feet grounded on earth and move upward. Find those areas of internalized stress and just release that to God in prayer as a way to pray with your whole body. Trusting that he doesn't want the weight and the aches and the unrest of this world filling our minds and our bodies. Feel the weight of this world loosen from your bones and exhale that. And while we exhale the troubles of our day, of the chaos of our mind, breathe in the goodness of our creator. This is not just an activity of mindfulness. If we're to stop at the unloading of our burdens, we're just halfway there. But as you breathe those out and release, Breathe in the goodness of our Father, who from chaos formed this world we live in, who from heaven again entered into this chaos to be that substitutionary atonement, and whose spirit currently dwells inside you, inside your chaos. Just breathe in. As we empty ourselves of the pain and the grief and the tumult and the anxiety of the day, God, fill us with the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience. Breathe out anxiety, breathe in gratitude. Breathe out fear, and breathe in love. Breathe out bitterness, breathe in peace. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ below me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, 
Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, breathe in Christ. And let me bless you with a benediction, a good word from the road from 2 Thessalonians. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. Thank you, brother. That was really good. Uh, as we are in the midst of Holy Week here and we're leading up to Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday, I can't help but think of the picture of God as physician and God as healer and thinking specifically the words of Isaiah that by his stripes, his wounds, we are healed. And I think it's uh, been a blessing for us to hear from you, Pat, um, to hear uh, your words of wisdom, to hear your encouragements and your challenges as one who God is using as an instrument of healing, um, and not only physically, but also in our spirits uh, as you led us through prayer. And so, brother, thank you so much. Um, thank yeah. you for joining us. Thank you for reaching out and suggesting that we do this. Um, for those of you listening, um, we, again, hope that this has been uh, helpful for you and encouraging for you. Um, we, as, uh, as has been mentioned, nobody really knows what lies, in, lies ahead. Um, we are in this together. We are moving forward together day by day by day, um, but we are not uh, without hope. And so this week, as we continue to meditate on the cross of Jesus Christ and then celebrate on Sunday the, the empty tomb, we know that whatever may come, that we have hope that one day Jesus will completely heal every disease and every sickness, that he will wipe away every tear and that death will be no more everything mm -hmm. that is not right will be made right and everything will be as it was meant to be. And so we leave you with that hope and that encouragement. Peace be with you. Peace.